please open God's word with me to Mark chapter 1 this morning. Mark 1, 14. I'm going to read 14 to 20. Mark 1, 14 says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now I wanted to read from verse 14 to give you really some context this morning about what Jesus is talking about in this calling in verses 16 to 20. But in verses 14 to 15, we learn that Christ came preaching that the kingdom of God was at hand because the king had come. The kingdom of God was, was revealed, as we read earlier in Mark's gospel, it was revealed through Christ's blessed baptism and the Father's voice from heaven and the Spirit descending as a dove. This kingdom was also revealed through Jesus' conquering of our temptations in the wilderness. And it goes further to show us that this kingdom was revealed through the public preaching of the gospel to repent and believe. Here we see our king's authority being displayed in a public way. But now today in our text in 16 to 20, we're going to fast forward one year maybe a little over a year in time. We're going to move one year in time ahead to hear the Master call his disciples and reveal his authority, not just publicly, but now personally. The kingdom of God was at hand. The king had come. His authority was being displayed in a public way during this period. And then now, personally, in the lives of these men that he calls to be his disciples. It's here in this text that we, we learn that when the Master sovereignly calls men to salvation, He makes them disciples. It will transform them. That's His point here in verses 16 to 20. There was a transformation when they were called to be His disciples. It transformed their lives spiritually and practically, it changed their spiritual condition and the direction of their lives from that point forward. Verses 16 to 20 shows us how true believers should respond to Christ's calling on our life. We see that in verse 18. We see what that should look like. We see it here in Simon and Andrew's response to Jesus' calling while they were working. They followed him immediately. Then we see it in verse 20. James and John, they respond likewise. 
they both left behind everything they had in life to follow Christ's command. And if you'll notice in the text, they, they did that with eagerness. They immediately left their occupation. They immediately left their father to follow Christ as disciples. And this is pretty radical, you guys. This was their main occupation. This was their livelihood they walked away from. Because the master called them. They were moved inwardly and outwardly to follow the Savior, Jesus Christ. This, this eagerness to follow and obey Jesus, I believe, is really one of the first marks or the, the sign of true conversion. Listen, church, when, when Christ call, calls us to salvation, he's calling us to follow him the rest of our life as disciples, as learners, as those who don't just merely hear the word, but do what our master commands. Listen, church, as we read this text, as you look at the apostles and the disciples in the testimony of Scripture, you understand something very clearly about our calling as Christians. We have one mission in life as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that mission is to glorify Jesus by obeying his voice, by following his commands. Not just hearing them, giving mental assent to them, but rather in doing them. That's what honors the master when he calls us to salvation. That's your calling. And it's not only your calling. If you're a Christian and you know that you've been saved by the sovereign grace of God through the resurrection of Christ, through his life, his death, his resurrection, his sacrifice, this shouldn't just be your calling. It's not just your vocation. This should be your passion in life. You should immediately want to follow the Lord's commands. And I think that most of us here would say that's what we want. But I also believe that most of us here would also say that sometimes we don't feel like we can do that. Or maybe I'm the only one who feels that way. Sometimes following Jesus' commands feels impossible to me because I am flawed with sin. I'm in need of him all the time to wash me and make me new again. And sometimes I feel probably like you spiritually weak. Sometimes I feel like I'm among the not mighty in the world's eyes. At times, I feel like my witness is despised. And at times, I don't feel worthy of my calling. And neither do you, do you? But I have good news. I have good news that you do not have to fear what seems impossible to you because God has chosen you to do this. The sovereign God has moved in a miraculous way to take the weak things of this world and shame the wise through them. And that's who we are. We are the weak in this world. But in Christ, we are more than conquerors. I think that Mark 1, 16 to 20 reminds us of that. I think it reminds us by showing us the kind of people that Jesus calls to be his disciples, his mathetes, his learners. His students. And listen, a student in, in that sense, and the student in the sense that the term disciple or mathetes is used in the Greek text, 
wasn't someone who was merely an academic student who filled their mind with knowledge. No, they understood that the student of anyone was one who heard and applied the teachings that they were sitting under. And here in this text, I think we see the kind of people that we need to be as disciples. And it's hopeful to look at the kind of people that Christ picks, isn't it? I am very encouraged by those that he chose out to call to be his disciples here in this narrative. Just think about these men. The majority of the men who were called to be disciples were fishermen. All right, that's not a noble profession. All right, it's just an ordinary profession of the time. These men were ordinary people just like us. I mean, when you guys talk about Peter, you talk about James and John, the sons of thunder, I mean, we think of these guys as heroes of the faith. Now, they were examples of the life of Christ lived through ordinary people just like us. These men were not spokesmen. They weren't scholars. They weren't theologians per se. They weren't overly talented. If you think about it and look at their personal testimonies, you'll learn it's quite the opposite. Many times they were hot-headed, humanly weak, and they were very average, just like us. And as I said earlier, as we come to this text, we're, we're fast-forwarding one year in verse 16 to give us a sort of glimpse of what happened in this ministry that they had with Jesus, how, how they had passed with him through Galilee, and there he called them to salvation. And then they came back through Jerusalem and then back into Galilee again where he began to preach publicly to them. And now, now they're back in their, their home turf. So what do they do naturally? They go back to work. They go back to fishing because they're average men. They've got a job to do. They have a family to support. So they go back to doing what they had always done, which is to fish, to provide food for their family and provide financial security to those in need. But as I think about this, as I thought about what they did, they went back to their occupation. And their occupation seems very ordinary until you think about how God takes the ordinary and through his grace makes it extraordinary. I think that Christ chose these men because they were fishermen. I think he chose them in particular because of this occupation. I think that their trade would serve as a divine illustration of their new calling. These men would understand the master's call to become fishers of men like no one else would, right? They would understand how important it is to feed people spiritually. They would understand how important it is to rescue those who are at the verge of spiritual bankruptcy. Every, every time they went out, that, that boat full of fish brought back security to those who were on the edge of bankruptcy. They would have understood this spiritual illustration like no one else. But what we need to understand is this. They could not do what Christ called them to do. That is, become fishers of men without following his first command. 
You and I are not going to go out and do great things for the kingdom of God on our own, in our own strength. We have to follow God's directions. And that's what we see here in verse 17. In order to teach these men to fish for men, they had to follow this first command. Verse 17 shows us, or lets us hear, the master's first command, which is simply follow me. Now, this wasn't merely follow my path down this road. This was become a lifelong learner from me, a learner and doer of what I command. There was no looking back. For all they knew, when they left initially, this job that they had, this fishing occupation, they were never going back. They had set their eyes upon Christ because he called them to obey his voice. And look at their response. It's immediate obedience. They followed Christ immediately and with eagerness. Because, listen, Jesus was much more than the Savior to them. They knew that he was the master. He was the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, who had called them personally to be learners, to follow him throughout their life. That's an astounding, astounding calling. Church, that's the same calling you and I have. You think about this? I mean, Paul did a great job this morning talking about how mighty God is in creating this world and sustaining this universe. That same God who made galaxy after galaxy full of stars that are innumerable, that same God condescended to become a man, to live a righteous life that we can't live, to die an ignoble death that we deserve to die, and to rise victoriously to declare his glory and justify many. He did that for us. And when he calls us to salvation, it's not separate from discipleship. They are hand in hand. We are to be followers of the one who called us, the master himself. Now, let me ask you this question this morning. And think about this, seriously. Think about your salvation. Think about the day that you knew that your sins had been forgiven. That you are right with God. That Christ was your Redeemer. How did you respond? How, was you, how would you say that you wanted to respond to the Master's call upon your life at that moment? Were you ready to leave your sins and forget about all your future plans and follow wherever Christ leads you? Is that how you felt? I hope that's how you felt. I think about my conversion. I was sitting in a county jail in Okmulgee. The Lord saved me. I came home, was bailed out, and I'm praying that night as, as, as a reflection of what God had already done to me. He had given me this desire to cry out to him. And I cried out, oh God, I've lived this life for myself 100%. I am yours now. Make me go way beyond this. Let me give everything I have and more for you. I think that we would all say we felt that way when we were converted by Christ. When he initially called us to salvation. But in that initial calling, he also called you to be a disciple. And I think you had that desire in your heart. Though you may have not understood 
the theology of it or the practice of how it was going to come out, you felt like you wanted to follow Christ and leave your sins behind, just as these men did. When you were given faith to believe and ears to hear his voice, you wanted to respond this way. And I think that if we examine our hearts, we still want to respond that way, don't we? But are we? It's so easy in Christianity to become comfortable with our salvation. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Give me more books to study, more things to know. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves at the point where we're in our offices, we're in our studies, we're in our homes, and we're filling up our minds, but our feet are far behind. We're not following the Lord's commands. Not intentionally. No, we're, we're, we're growing spiritually. Are we? A learner is one who puts into application what he learns. We wanted to do that initially. We should do it continually. We should do that because that's what the Lord Jesus said we should do and that we would do if he truly called us. Look with me at Luke 9. Luke 9, 23. This is our calling, saints. When Christ called us to salvation, to become learners, followers of his voice, this is what comes with it right here. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, that is, as a disciple, as a believer, if anyone would come after me, let him Deny himself. Well, that's hard today. We live in a culture that says, no, promote yourself. Exalt yourself. Self-esteem is king. And Christ says just the opposite. I wonder who's right. He says, deny yourself and take up your cross, his cross, daily and follow me. We preach a cross-centered theology, don't we? That theology, that gospel, that cross-centered gospel that we preach, it requires cross-carrying people. People who are willing to deny themselves in response to this call upon their lives because of the one who called us into this ministry is worthy. Our calling as disciples isn't merely just to do something to help church programs grow. Our calling as disciples is really this. It's to make much of Jesus Christ as those who have been forgiven by him through his sacrifice. Look on down in Luke 9 to verse 57 and ask yourself, are you willing, are you desirous, are you eager to immediately continue leaving your sins and your future plans behind to follow this Christ, this Messiah, this Savior. Jesus says if you're not, you might want to examine your heart. Look at verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, Oh, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, now sometimes people say that very quickly before they count the cost. Remember the cost in Luke 9, 23. Denying yourself and dying to yourself daily. 
Jesus responds in verse 58, uh, knowing the heart, right? Knowing, knowing how easy it is for us to say, oh, I'll go with you everywhere, because they're thinking he's going to, to, to conquer Rome, he's going to set up his kingdom, he's going to have authority, and I'm going to be right there with him. I'm like right beside him. This is going to be great. So Jesus comes back and says, here's the truth. He said to them, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Let me just add this. Do you know where the Son of Man did finally lay his head? He laid his head on a cross. And we must be willing to follow him in dying to ourselves to magnify his love and authority through our lives as disciples. Verse verse 59 says, To another he said, Follow me. But he said, there's a man giving a provision, I'll, I'll do it if, right? I'll do it when it fits my timing. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus comes back with something that seems really harsh, but it's not. Just bear with me for a second. He said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now understand this. Jesus is not being hard. In that verse 60, this man's dad wasn't dead yet in verse 59. This man, this man wanted to say, I'll follow you after my dad dies and I take care of business, get my inheritance. Everything works out well for me to follow you then because I don't have to sacrifice anything. So Jesus says, let the dead go bury the dead. You're spiritually dead. Your thinking is carnal. You go take care of what you need to do, but you're not following me. Your job is to go and proclaim the kingdom. The kingdom and its riches are far greater than any inheritance we receive on earth. Verse 61 says, Yet another said to him, I will follow you, Lord. Now he uses the term Lord again there. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. How are you continually responding to Christ's call to be a follower this morning? Are you looking back? Are you fit for the kingdom? Are you looking at your own life and your own protection? Or are you willing to sacrifice all for the glory of Jesus? And this is a hard truth. And I'll tell you what I told a group of men last Monday. Hard truth from the Word of God will break hard hearts. But the Lord Jesus knows our hearts become calloused. So these words, I think, freshly remove that callous, to make us sensitive again to his voice. Now go with me back to Mark 1.17. Here we learn that we should follow Christ because of really an important reason here, the, the essential reason, I would say. We learn here that we should follow Christ because, number one, Christ calls us into a supernatural mission. And remember, you're ordinary, right? Well, maybe a couple of you don't think you're ordinary, but that's okay. 
God will humble us all. You and I are ordinary. We, do, we don't do extraordinary things. That's, that's not normative for us. But God chose the normal, the plain, to call us into a supernatural mission. Look at verse 17b. He says, follow me. And he says, notice this, I will make you become fishers of men. Who's doing the making there? Who's making the fishermen? It's the Lord Jesus. That's a supernatural occurrence. And it's a supernatural mission they're called into. They're going to become fishers of men. Now listen, saints, no matter what you do in life, there is no higher calling than this. This is the highest calling on earth. The king of glory, the king of the universe, our master, our redeemer, he has called you to be evangelists. Evangelists are simply people who tell the good news about the king and what he's accomplished. That's your calling as fishers of men. Listen, we've been called. This is what's astounding to me. We've been called into this by God's wisdom. We look around us. We're not many wise. We're not many noble here. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He has called us, those redeemed by the blood of Christ, to fulfill His supernatural mission on the earth to seek out the lost that He will save and share the good news with them as Christ's disciples, as His ambassadors. You think of yourself as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ? You should. It might change the way you live your life if you do. I know it's having a sanctifying effect upon me right now. He's called us into a supernatural mission. And we can do what he's called us to do because he has given us a supernatural calling. Look with me at Ephesians 2. The one who called us made us able to glorify his name on the earth by his grace, according to this text. Now, look at how it begins. It begins with a a narrative about us. And you were dead, verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, notice he starts off in verse 1 saying, we're dead. But then he says, we're followers. Wait a minute. How can it be both? We're following what we love most in our death and our wickedness. We're following the course of this world and Satan's influence. And it's exposed by our attitude and our attributes as children of wrath. Look at verse 3. Among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, that's all of us. Pre-conversion, pre-salvation, pre-regeneration, we were disciples of Satan. We were following faithfully our flesh. 
We were learners and doers of what we had inside of us. But then, verse 4 comes along to change everything. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, here is why you're saved, saints. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And don't forget verse 10. For we are his workmanship, his produce, his product. We are the product of Christ's sacrifice. We are his workmanship, created in Christ's sacrifice. That's what he's talking about. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, we are testimonies of God's workmanship that reveals Christ's authority, his glory, his love. And it says we're created in Christ Jesus for a purpose. You receive salvation for this reason, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should Walk in them. Follow him in them. See, saints, we have a supernatural mission that's empowered through a supernatural calling. We were spiritually dead to God, but through Jesus, through his righteous life, his atoning death, his resurrection, we're given a new life, it says in this text, right? But that's not all. You don't just get saved and get to go to heaven. That's not your only purpose in life, saints. You have a new calling. You are followers of the flesh, of Satan, of the world. And now you're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a new calling. According to this text, you have a new life, right? You have new power in you to accomplish the mission God called you into. Look what it says. He made us alive. We are his workmanship. And here's the purpose of that. We're his workmanship created for good works that would magnify Jesus. What do our good works magnify about Jesus to the world? One, our obedience to Christ as disciples magnifies his authority as the Lord of our life. Are you doing that? Are you magnifying the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ through your obedience to his call on your life? Secondly, our good works magnify the love of Christ that's seen through us. The world sees that we have compassion for them, not condemnation for them. We speak good news and we go to them with the passion of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our master as his disciples. We try to lead them to the truth. We can't make them partake, but we show them the love and the patience of Christ when we continually take them to the truth, no matter what it costs us, because we're his workmanship, created for this good work. 
Just ask yourself this this morning. I asked myself this last night, this morning, multiple times this morning. How much of my evangelism is done out of this motivation? I want to magnify Jesus. That's why I go to the lost. That's why I start up a conversation with a customer, with a friend, with a relative. How much of my, my focus is on magnifying Jesus, or, or how much of that focus is on me just trying to do what I'm supposed to do as a disciple? It needs to be both, saints. We're given a command, a calling. It's not a suggestion. But there needs to be passion in that calling. If you truly contemplate who called you into it and what he did to make it possible for you to be his disciple. Listen, saints, we we have to remember that. I think we have to remember that Christ's call to be his disciple is not an option for us. It's a divine summons. If you received a summons from the court here today, you wouldn't have the option of not showing up. How much greater is the summons we've been given from the Lord Jesus Christ? It's not a request. It's a divine command. And here's, here's what the command is to be a disciple. It's a command to make much of him to others. That's your calling. That's what it means to be a mathetes, a disciple, a learner. It's to make much of the one who called you. Church, that's our great commission. And if you think about it in the light of Ephesians 2, it's not just our great commission. It's the reason, the very heart and reason for our salvation. Could God save people without us? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we have the privilege of being chosen by God to go into that work. To make much of our Savior. What a privilege that is. It's the reason he calls us. Listen, every person who's ever been called to salvation is not primarily called, again, just to go to heaven. So there we can be free of all these problems and we can enjoy life and peace and health. Now we're called, every one of us, to salvation, to magnify the one who called us the one who saved us by his grace. We're called to be evangelists. We're called to be good news proclaimers. We're called to be disciples, learners, appliers, the things that our master has taught us through our calling. Just think about your privilege this morning as a Christian. Sometimes you feel like, again, maybe you're not really up to par as a believer, that you're not really able to be a a faithful disciple. But I want you to understand something. You are God's choice. You are God's choice so that we don't boast in our flesh, but in him who called us. We, saints, listen to this. We are the evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ's authority and love on the earth. We're it. It's the church. The church, the followers of Christ, within the body of Christ, they are the, capital T-H-E, evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ's authority and love on this earth. Think about this. You are the one that makes evident that Jesus is the Lord 
and Savior of sinners. You are God's chosen vessels, chosen to display His power, His love, His grace, and His glory to others. That is your calling as disciples. We are His ambassadors. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to see that. We are His ambassadors here on the earth. I always say this when I come to texts like this, and you guys have heard me say this, I'm sure, before, but don't you ever wonder, stop and consider Why did God leave me here when he saved me? I would rather go to heaven. I would rather be in glory. I would rather be in the presence of Christ himself. Why does he leave people here after he saves them? Well, this text will tell us we have a divine commission, a calling, a vocation. We are the ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, period. After that, we might be screen printers, ag teachers, machinists. But first and foremost, we are called by Christ into his ministry that would exalt his name. Second Corinthians 5.14. Notice how the Apostle Paul writes this here. Look what motivates him in his ministry. He says, for the love of Christ constrains me, controls me, controls us. The love, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all that those who live, notice this, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Ego non sum ego. I am not the same I. That man is gone. He died with Christ at the cross. Behold, The new has come. I have a new life. You have a new life. It is not your own. You've been purchased with the blood of Christ. And then verse 18 says this. All this is from God regarding salvation and your calling. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Listen, that's an astounding statement. I I have a hard time as a parent being a minister of reconciliation in my own home with my boys. But here, it goes far beyond that personal conflict in my home to a supernatural calling on my life to be an ambassador of Christ. Telling people how they can be reconciled to a holy and righteous God though they are sinful and defiled in His sight. God has made a provision for such people as that. I am the testimony to that truth. That's our ministry. He says, this ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us, to us, ordinary people, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, because of all that, we are, not we will be, not we might be, we are ambassadors for Christ. God 
Look at the wisdom of God in this. It's not our cleverness, not our skill, not our oratory, not our education that does this. It says, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, the righteousness of God is evidenced in obedience to Christ. If you're going to be a faithful witness, if you're going to be a faithful evangelist, you first and foremost have to be a follower of Christ's commands. You must be willing to not only talk about the good news, but live it out. God chose us to be the ones who do that. In the wisdom of God, he chose the foolish things of the world to confound those wise among us. He made us, the weak and the weary and the despised by the world, he made us his ambassadors. He continues and continues to do that until Christ comes. Look what he did. Look how this reality took root in the text we were looking at earlier in Mark 1, 18. Look at the reality of, of the disciples here being called to be followers of Christ immediately. Look how it took root. Look how the reality of this discipleship evidenced itself again in this text. In Mark 1, 18, it says, Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Listen, when, when Simon and Andrew, James and John heard Christ call them out personally, verse 18 says they left everything. They left their financial stability. They left their family, verse 20. They supernaturally followed Christ's voice. We know that to be true because, look, they left what we would consider everything. It was a reckless abandonment of themselves that we see here. In the world's eyes, it looks foolish. But ultimately, we know who is to be our provider and our sustainer. So it is not foolish to recklessly abandon ourselves to follow Christ. These men left their comfort zone, their their comfort zone was fishing, that occupation. They left that livelihood. They left their family comfort. I mean, you work for your dad. I mean, you get all the perks, right? They left everything to follow Christ immediately and eagerly, this text says. Church, the only way that could happen is if something supernatural took place. Something supernatural takes place in us when we hear the Master's voice. Can you remember the first time you actually understood the gospel? And you felt the love of Christ. It's as if you heard His voice, not verbally, but spiritually. And you responded, crying out, Lord, use me, take me, make me your own. That should be our testimony now. Continually. In this text, in, in Mark 1, 16-20, here we learn that a desire to follow Jesus is not simply a human decision. It can't be. It is foolishness to the world to follow Christ. A desire to follow Christ is a miracle of God's sovereign grace. That's all it is, church. If you love Jesus and want to obey His commands, you must rejoice this morning. 
That's the evidence of God at work in you. When, when you obey Christ's call, understand that that is a supernatural display of true salvation. That is the evidence of regeneration. If you don't want to follow Christ's command, if you're making provisions for the flesh, maybe that's a sign of something else. Maybe that's a sign that you need regeneration. There are many people who sit in churches every day who hear this message and do not come to Christ as disciples. They feel comfortable in their calling as pew warmers, as attendees, but not followers of the Lord Jesus. We need to examine ourselves. What is our desire? I'm not talking about the perfection of your life. No one's going to be a perfect disciple on this earth. That comes later in glory. But what is the direction of your life? What is the passion of your life? What is your desire? Is it to make much of Jesus or make much of your own comfort and stability? Mark 1, 16 to 20 teaches us that Christ's converts will long to follow and obey the Master's call to be lifelong disciples. Where there is true conversion, there will be true submission to Jesus. There will be a willing spirit and a desire to obey the Master's voice and direction for your life. There will be a desire to grow in His Word daily. If that's not there, examine your relationship with God. Listen, if I went a day without my wife feeding me, I would notice it. She would too. She'd hear me crying. How can the follower of Christ truly reject the daily bread that comes from God? Now, we may not get in it as often as we like, but is that desire in our heart? Not only do we get into the Word to grow in our understanding and worship our Lord, but do we apply it to our lives practically? Are we living it out? And here's one primary way we need to be doing that. By sharing it with others, either to edify the saints or evangelize the lost. Let me ask you a couple of questions here. Is that your present testimony? Have you thought about that lately? Do you still have the same desire that you had when you were first converted? If not, cry out to God for it. Ask Him to renew your heart. Remove the callousness of self and submit to Christ. You can do that. You can examine whether your heart is hard or not just by doing this simply. Looking at what you willingly and immediately desire to follow daily. Are you more concerned with following the desires of your flesh, making provisions for the flesh? Are you more concerned about that than you are of following and honoring Christ through your actions? Are you submitted to the flesh's direction or Christ's direction today? Are you submitted to Him, no matter what it costs you? I pray you desire submission to Christ today. I pray that my desire for submission to Christ will increase. Because, listen, submission to the Lord and His commands is the evidence of His Spirit and His work in our life. 
what it says in John. Look with me in John 15 real quickly. John 15, verse 1. This is the evidence of Christ's Spirit at work in your life if you are a true believer. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, not some of the branches, but every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. It says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, dwell in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That's that supernatural calling to fulfill the mission. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he says this, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. By what? That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. Examine yourself in light of that text. Do you love the Lord's command? Are you desiring to bear much fruit that glorifies the one in which you are placed, the true vine? Are you you desiring this? Is this the, the desire of your heart? And if it is, are you submitted to whatever he calls you to do? Listen, I'm going to repeat this. If there is no submission to Jesus then there is no evidence that you are a Christian. That's just the truth of God's Word. Not my opinion. My opinion means nothing. If you're not willing to follow Jesus, you cannot be His disciple. Hence, you are not a Christian. You are not converted. You are unregenerate. You need His mercy and His grace. You need His mercy and His grace to do this too. It is He that works in us. But I want to beg you today to examine your hearts. Ask yourself, do you desire, is it your passion, do you long to obey the Lord's commandments, His calling to be a disciple, an evangelist, a proclaimer of the good news? If that's that's your desire, rejoice. And listen, self-examination is not going to hurt you if that's the case. Self-examination will only cultivate more conviction, more repentance that will lead you to obedience. See, this is the gracious obedience that's given to us of Christ that should be driving our hearts. The Son desired to obey and submit to the Father. Therefore, those who are in the Son should desire what He desires. 
Are you fleeing from selfishness to follow Christ willfully and continually today? That was the testimony of the first disciples. Think about this real quickly. I'm running out of time, but let me, let me try to get this in. Simon Peter, right? Great guy. We all relate to Simon, don't we? Probably. Simon was an uneducated fisherman. Simon failed to listen to Jesus often. But even though he failed often, the desire was in his heart because of his calling. And Christ oftentimes granted him repentance and did something miraculous, supernatural in Peter. He went from being Simon, the guy who's all mouth, to being Peter, the preacher of truth by God's calling. Think about James and John. They were called the sons of thunder, and rightly so, because they were prone to anger. They were zealous, but not with knowledge. But when they heard the voice of Christ, when they submitted to his directions, their names meant something else. James and John weren't called the sons of thunder any longer. John was called the beloved and James the martyr. One of these men was so devoted to Christ that he was willing to suffer as a loving pastor on the Isle of Patmos. He was boiled in oil, oil, history says, yet survived and continued to preach the truth to God's people. The other James, he was so devoted to Christ that he followed his master into a life of martyrdom to the very end. When these men heard Christ's call in their lives, they were so eager to follow him, they were willing to put their lives to death for his sake. They were willing to take up Christ's cross to magnify his love in their life and his authority over their life. And that's my question for us today. Is that the case? Is that our testimony? Are we that eager? How much do we desire to magnify Christ's love and authority in our lives? Is his supernatural calling on our life truly transforming the actions of our life? Do we long to magnify Christ's love by sharing the good news to others, with others? Do we willingly submit to Christ and all his commands to reveal his great glory and authority over us so that the world will ask us about the hope that lies within us and we'll give them a, an answer? We'll give them the reason? Because Christ is our Savior and our Master. Saints, remember that the call to follow Christ is an extraordinary calling, and it's a supernatural calling. And here's what I want you to rejoice in this morning. Even though you may feel like you fall short, if you see any glimpse of this, if you see any desire in your heart to, to follow the Master now, presently, rejoice. If this calling to follow him is transforming you in any way, that should humble you and excite you this morning because it reveals something spectacular about you this morning, really something spectacular about our Savior this morning. If there's a desire to follow Christ in obedience and submission, that reveals to us and to the world that Jesus still calls the common to confound the wise. 
He chose us to be his disciples, illustrations of his authority and his love and his power on earth. And that should absolutely amaze you, astound you, because you and I are ordinary. We're not many noble or wise in the world's eyes, but by Christ's supernatural calling on our lives, we are made his messengers on the earth. It's extraordinary, folks, and I hope that you're amazed by that calling on your life today. Let me give you something to remember that might help revive that amazement and your obedience this morning. In 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 1, 26, let this revive again our amazement and our active obedience and submission to Christ Verse 26 says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Church, that's us. Are you amazed by this? You didn't earn God's favor. You didn't earn your calling. It was given to you for this reason. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Here in this text. We're reminded of what God did with the first disciples. He took the common and made it sacred. He took the ordinary and made it holy, set apart through his gospel and his spirit's power. Saints, that should encourage us today and bring us great confidence in this congregation. It should do that because the power of our ministry, the power of your personal witness doesn't lie in your own strength. It's not in your skills. It's not in your talents. It's not in your intellect. The power of your ministry comes from the life of Christ that is being lived out in us. The disciples, who later on became known as the apostles, were like us. They were just ordinary people. But God turned the world upside down through them. And he can do that very same thing today through us. I hope that's encouraging to you this morning. It's hopeful to me because as I was writing all this down and thinking through this, I realized I'm a very, very ordinary man. There is nothing spectacular about me. I've got to be honest. If you would have asked me to stand before a crowd when I was 19, 20 years old, I would have probably fought you before I could stand before you. But the desire that I have now to tell the truth about Christ and exalt his name overpowers me. Actually, I love the fact that we have so many ministers in our congregation now, four preachers preaching the the gospel truth to us. But at the same time, I'm like, I wish I could do it every Sunday. Love to hear them, but I wish I could do it. They make me want to go out and do it. But there's nothing spectacular about me at all. Quite the contrary. I'm very ordinary. But I'm hopeful today because God still calls the ordinary. 
to do the extraordinary work of magnifying Christ on the earth by making us fishers of men for the glory of his name. I got one more text. I'm like right at an hour. I got one more text. You got to go there with me. Let me end with this one last reminder of the truth about what we're talking about here. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, look what it says here. Just be, be encouraged by this. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Saints, that's why you were chosen. You are ordinary, but you have an extraordinary message inside of you. You have a supernatural power, a supernatural calling, a supernatural message that jars of clay cannot contain. It will shine out. It will burst out of you as followers of Christ when you consider who it is that saves you. Jars of clay that testify that we are really trophies of God's grace. Isn't that amazing? The testimony of his grace is seen through your obedience to Christ. So let's examine our hearts. Let's consider that as I pray and ask the Lord to make us faithful followers of the Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, your word is true. It is powerful to divide and expose what's in our hearts. And so I'm going to ask for myself and for the congregation this morning, that you would do just that, that you would expose our hearts, reveal our selfishness and our lack of obedience so that we would be transformed by the truth of your grace and Christ's calling on our lives this morning. Lord, I long to see Christ magnified, not just in the preaching here in the pulpit, but the the living out of the gospel in your people. God, that is my desire. That is why we, we preach and we teach and we try to edify and equip the saints so that they would do the work of ministering to others and magnifying Jesus. That's why we are still here on the earth. Remind us of that, I pray, for the glory of Christ's great name. Amen.